Welcome to the podcast. This is episode number five, part one of our conversation. And today we're covering a massive, broad topic, and it's one that I think will be and can be very beneficial for uh, millennials and for other generations too, as we look at why so many young people are leaving church, leaving faith, and asking big questions. In fact, this topic is one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast in the first place. And Going forward, this sets up a lot of context, a lot of groundwork on why we want to have a podcast like this in the first place. We want to have a space to hear from people that challenge our thinking or maybe to find solidarity in our own struggles and wrestles with faith and to know that people have been wrestling with these big questions for thousands of years. In a sense, it's nothing new. And I want to explain something for listeners outside of an Australian or Kiwi context. A couple of times the phrase coming up in this episode, uh, avocado on toast, comes up. If you don't know the reference there, I thought I'd quickly explain. Basically, it's a colloquial joke that I think originated in the media in Australia and has been replicated in the media here in New Zealand as well about how millennials want to have our cake and eat it too. It was around the unaffordability of housing prices compared to the job market and that all millennials' expectations are too high and we need to start saving better rather than going to cafes and eating out at brunch. Uh, hence the avocado on toast, which would be a lot cheaper if we just simply stayed at home and made avocado on toast ourselves rather than spending 20 bucks at a cafe with our friends. So yeah, there is this tension where maybe some older generations maybe see us millennials as a bunch of whiners with uh, no stickability, no dedication. So this conversation can hopefully shed some light on why there is such existential angst among youth and young adults today and why this is not just a generation who wants to rebel, party and spend and then question everything but there there really is something bigger going on here and our two guests today talk about that very thing whether it's a, a schism or a shift in consciousness they do think that this particular time in history is huge there's something deeper going on there's a crossroads that is coming up with a potential future of faith and the way it connects with society may start to look very different. And I guess that's a scary thought for some and maybe an exciting adventure for others. I personally find it super interesting, which is why we want to have these conversations. I also know that there are older generations, plenty of Gen Xs and some baby boomers and people that are older than that too, who have also gone through these similar questions, this uh, kind of deconstruction phase, and they totally get why young people are leaving today in big numbers. Half the time we've got nothing to say Sleeping each day away Sleeping our days away so just to tease ahead a little more, there are a few things coming up in this conversation that may sound like it could be pushing the boundaries, especially if you come from a more conservative background. I want to say that uh, no one in this episode is giving any definitive advice or making any doctrinal claims or anything like that. It's, it's simply a conversation. And one last thing to give a little bit more context, Nigel in this conversation coming up, Nigel Cottle, he mentions the letters ISTJ, which refers, as many of you know, to the Myers-Briggs personality type. I'm sure you've heard those uh, those 16 different combinations of different personality types, but to give that one particular type some context, an ISTJ has a unique set of characteristics including integrity, practical logic, 
and tireless dedication to duty. ISTJs are a vital core to many families as well as organisations that uphold traditions, rules and standards. So when Nigel refers to that a little later, you'll know that he's referring to that particular type of person who simply, as part of who they are, will want to toe the line and respect authority. They're kind of the glue that holds institutions and family together. And, and of course, that's a great thing that they are kind of living out of their true selves. But um, that isn't all of us. Uh, his point is that when organisations are targeting just those types of leaders especially, then things will always just kind of stay the same and they're not likely to take risks. I myself uh, am an ENTP. I guess part of my personality is that I want to follow the path of the unsafe, kind of to be an independent thinker, to expose ideas to the danger of controversy. I guess I, I want to rally against the stigma of conformity. It's almost, uh, well, three of the four letters are completely opposite to that ISTJ. So enough context, enough on the Myers-Briggs. I'm sure you'll all follow along just fine. Uh, let's get into the conversation. And first up, John Watson introduces the topic on the night in our live setting of Crave Cafe in July of 2017. What's creating that? Is it disillusionment because of this kind of postmodern relative truth society that's sceptical or cynical of, of any absolute or universal truth claims? Is it just disillusionment with the institution of the church, maybe the same old format of worship and then a sermon and prayer at the end? Is it a combination of one or more of these things that's perhaps driving us back to the earlier church notions of, of small, tight-knit communities of, of believers. To answer some of these questions, this evening we have Nigel Cottle, who did his Masters on the topic, and Sam Burrows, who was a young adults uh, pastor at Windsor and who's now in Christian education. So welcome, Sam and um, Nigel. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the chat. I thought we'd start by just introducing a bit of who you are, what you guys do, how you came to be where you are. So maybe we'll start with Nige. Maybe a little bit about your upbringing and then kind of like your journey to where you are in terms of relationship to the church or to your faith. And yeah, just, just pretty brief in general to start. Right. Brief in general. Okay. <laughs> Here's 40 years in brief. Uh, I, I grew up a uh, son of a pastor, pastor's kid and missionary kid. Spent four years in the Solomon Islands when I was, when I was a kid. Um, great years. So I, I've always been core central part of the church you know, um, and been at the centre and seen kind of what's going on from the inside um, at church. When I did a business degree and then uh, at, right at the end of that went and became a youth pastor, which I didn't plan to, but that was, you know, that's the, the way that these things work out. I, uh, I was a youth pastor at Glen Eden Baptist and then at, at Kumi Baptist for, for five years each. In that time, I uh, had this sense of, you know, there's something more that the church needs to be. Um, I've, I've seen it sort of right from the core and the inside, but, um, but I kind of wanted to, to be positive about what the new thing could be rather than sort of sit with a, a disillusionment. I, I was tempted to be disillusioned, if that makes sense, but I, I wanted to not give up on the old girl. So I sort of stuck in there and, um, and until I could configure out what would be a new thing that I could do. In the time that I was at Kumu, I became real aware of the issue of young adults leaving because I'd been at the church for a couple of years and I found a list of young people that had been in small groups from five years earlier. 
you know, if you're in a small group at a, at a church, that, you're not just you know, turning up on a Saturday night, but you're part of the thing. And, uh, and so you've got youth leaders that care for you and go to your soccer games and things like that. So I looked at all these names of these 50 young people, and I was like, man, I, didn't, I knew like just three or four of those names. And I thought, man, if only five years ago, all these young people who are in, you know, core part of this church, you know, in, integrated in, in terms of discipleship and things like that. And I asked around the church and you know, talked to parents and people who had been you know, over the years, and I'd been there for two and a half years at that point. So most of them had gone before I got there in that, that short time. And, um, and it turned out that 80% of, those, of the people whose names had been in small groups five years before, people knew kind of either where they were and outside of the church or they just hadn't been heard of for ages. And, and we, you know, church in New Zealand is a bit small to not know where someone is, you know, in that, in that regard. And then 10% of them had gone to some other church, so they were known, but in another church, and 10% were still at Kumi. Um, 80%, uh, 40 of them had just, just disappeared, you know. And, and I, thought, I was like, man, that is way too many. Uh, and at that point, there wasn't a lot of conversation around young adults leaving. That was probably about 12 or 13 years ago. And, and it sort of sparked me. I was going, man, I'm giving my life to this thing. Being a youth pastor is like, a, it's a hard job. I was like, I can't do this if they're just going to end up with them all walking away. And, and so I, I thought, this must be, must be something wrong with this church. And I was going to investigate that. And as I then I talked to other people around and I, I got, I was like, man, this seems to be like a bigger deal than, uh, than just a community about this thing. And yeah, I was like, man, actually, all of the youth leaders that were instrumental in forming me discipleship-wise, every single one of them is now out of the church. All my peers, the people that I was with that were deeply committed followers of Jesus, I'm like, man, almost like 90% of them are, are, have left. And there was a sense of, I am a remnant here. And, um, and so for me, I, 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 I just started doing some regional work with the Baptist churches. And, and I was like, I need to work this out. And so I asked the, the Auckland Association if, if I could commission me to um, just do some research and, and look into it, you know. The thing was, it was just a much bigger deal uh, than that anyone was prepared to really own yeah, at, at, that, at that point. Um, and the stats out of the states were, were really bad, but everyone was going, oh, but it's not the same in New Zealand, you know, it's not the same. And, uh, and, but the reality is, it, it is the same. My journey has been one of like, looking at, you know, why is this happening, and what are some possible ways that, that we could um, do this. So I spent 10 years doing, doing regional stuff with the Baptists, and then I just finished that at the end of last year. So 10 years ago, at the same time, we started a faith community here called Mosaic, and, and that's, so Crave Cafe is an outworking, um, a missional outworking in the neighbourhood of, of what Mosaic is. That's amazing. Who likes this cafe? Sweet, I love it. It's amazing. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for letting us run this event here. Cool. Yeah, I think what you've done with the place is just incredible. Um, a little bit about Mosaic maybe. You guys are trying to be intentional in the community to run some sort of community events to be missional where you guys are right here. But would you call yourself a church? Yeah, so we, we are technically a church, you know, in that, that way. So we're, we're a Baptist church. And, but we, we don't generally use church language to describe how we roll because there's a whole lot of preconceptions that come with the language. And so we tend to find that if we start off with the language, the preconceptions go, and then it's hard work to get to the truth. But if we start off with some other stuff, then the church stuff comes out. And I, I suppose we've now been going 10 years, and so a lot, there's a lot more base understanding of what we're doing and who we are now that that the church stuff is a bit more front and centre. So we just got reviewed um, in Canvas last Sunday for the, a restaurant service, and they were like, let's just get the elephant out of the room here. I think these guys are Christians, is essentially what they, they said. And that's, that's a new thing for us to kind of, for that to be front and centre of a review. But it's, we've been here long enough and, and got a bit of enough reputation that, that, that that's good. You know? It's an okay start point because we've, it's not the start point. Yeah. And maybe um, ask Sam a question. 
Talk a bit about how you grew up in your church upbringing, how you got to be the young adults pastor at Windsor Baptist. Yeah, so I, um, I grew up in uh, sort of New Zealand Pentecostal churches in Wellington, so a very excitable bunch down there in the hut. It was a good way to be introduced to it and uh, to learn from the outset that actually, um, you know, Christianity um, or having a belief system is uh, something that can be experienced and can be real to you. And I very much was involved in that and I uh, accepted that way of engaging with my faith from a very young age. Uh, and then when I get to sort of uh, 19, I had sort of, I guess you'd call my first uh, faith crisis where... I remember one, in one small group, I was talking about the Bible as the Word of God, and somebody was just like, how do you know it's the Word of God? And I had nothing to say, and cue the rug being pulled out from under my feet. Um, I had no idea how I knew anything, a massive epistemological uh, sort of uh, quandary. So it pushed me into going to Bible college and uh, really wanted to learn everything that I could know about the Bible, about God, and what people thought. I started working as a teacher for three years, and then uh, Windsor Park advertised for a um, young adults pastor role and I thought oh, I'm not, not old enough because I, I think I was 24 at the time to do that by myself um, so I applied with a friend. The friend didn't get accepted but I did um, and I joined in with someone else and we both ran that together and it was quite an interesting time for me because I'd been part of another church and had become pretty disillusioned by it because I felt like I was only acceptable to them if I could be the cool young guy at the front playing the guitar, saying the right things and being enthusiastic about all the things that they wanted me to be enthusiastic about. Uh, and so I was ready to actually chuck church in. And then all of a sudden, Windsor was saying, cool, we've got a problem with people leaving the church. Why don't you come in as someone who's very aware of the problem? And in fact, I guess you, uh, you feel like you're in some ways you're a product of the problem and see if you can be part of the solution for us. So I found that quite um, an enabling kind of uh, role where I could... Uh, use all my sort of little bit of angst in a productive way and um, yeah it's funny because we'd run evenings just like this where we'd get the church along and be like all these people are leaving we can't keep doing the same things we've been doing all this time because they're going to keep leaving you know that kind of thing so I did that for two years and then I left the church which just so the irony wasn't lost on me um, I've got a lot <laughs> thank you thanks um, and the reason that, that, why that was interesting was because I left for reasons that I hadn't really talked about when I ran these evenings. And I left because being on a pedestal in front of all my peers caused major anxiety within me because the system that I was part of, whether it meant to or not really, uh, meant that I felt like I had to be this perfect example about everything the whole time. And I knew very much that I wasn't that guy. And so I had massive uh, anxiety and depressive issues and uh, got out of ministry, back into the non-ministry of teaching. And actually, I wasn't in church for, for quite a while. And um, I went and visited different churches during that time. And I went along to one church for a little while and realized that every Sunday I was getting really anxious and wound up. And I, I thought I was just having mood swings like, you know, going through my quarter-life crisis or male period or whatever, um, and to find out that actually, to work out eventually that being in church was making me really anxious because I had these antibodies of, I guess, noticing these, um, the misuse of power and power structures. And if you don't agree with what's being said at the front, you actually don't belong there. And, you, and to be the ideal candidate for this church, you should really value these things and believe these things and say these things. 
And I knew that I wasn't that guy. And so being in church was like a very claustrophobic experience. And um, I didn't know it in my head, but I knew it at least uh, in my body that it was an uncomfortable place to be. But now I've uh, been going along to Edge for a little while and um, have found that it's a a place for me where I feel like there are no power structures being uh, put on me, but actually I'm valued for who I am and can explore my belief uh, at a pace that kind of works for me. Now, I thought I'd I'd frame this discussion a little bit. So millennials are apparently born between the years 1983 and 2000, roughly. Would you be a Gen X? Gen X, mate. Gen X right here. So millennials, you can be as old as, what, 33, 34, 35, and as young as 17. It's a pretty big group, and the stats show that we are the biggest generation kind of coming through. We're going to overtake the baby boomers very soon. Um, so we're going to be pretty influential in society, and that's why people are making a big fuss as to why everyone's leaving. In America, you alluded to this before, but it's about 65% of people in America who are churched. I think a lot more people are churched in America, but that start off in church, 65% of them will kind of just disperse by the time they get to through uni, really. That's kind of the critical phase. So I guess that's the issue we want to talk about. So the main question we want to cover here tonight is why are millennials rejecting religion as a whole? Why are they leaving Christian churches in large numbers? And more broadly, why are they leaving faith? And even though a lot of millennials would say they want to leave church, the institution, these systems, they don't actually, the stats don't actually say that they don't believe in God anymore. They still have this kind of hunger, this kind of drive to search out these big questions and search for meaning in life. But... Um, they are leaving churches and these institutions. Maybe we can start with this idea that a lot of millennials are kind of sick of the church because they see this institution kind of running more of a business rather than maybe a community. Yeah, I think it's, it's been really interesting looking at it from, from the outside a little bit and realizing how much of the church uh, has kind of accepted the corporate model a little bit. You have kind of the pastor who sets the vision and he um, gets he mobilizes the the people underneath him to to meet that vision, and they together sort of create this product or this service that will reach as many people as possible. And actually, the whole church seems to be about if we have the best product that we put forward, we're going to attract more people. There's going to be more people through our doors, and we're going to keep the uh, the machine rolling. And so. I think that's more sort of symptomatic of some of the bigger churches, uh, particularly in Auckland, brand pushing, if we can make our church look big and do the right things and and create a really seamless service with great music, great preaching, uh, people on the door greeting you. So your whole church experience, your whole church product is a really, really good one. You're going to want to keep coming back and you're going to keep spending your time and money a little bit as well. So, um, I mean, that would be my first reflection. One of the muses I've got is that there's a sense of how churches, uh, we're in the midst of change, like significant change. You know, every generation pushes against its parents you know, and the things that its parents did and stuff like that. So going back, your grandparents pushed against your great-grandparents. And, and there's always been a, an angst that sits in this kind of, that millennial kind of age range um, that's there. So that's normal, but it's bigger than that right now. You know, is that it's greater than that normal angst. There's all the other sort of massive societal shifts, I think, that are, that are going on that lead it to be like a wholesale leave as opposed to a bit of a leave. And also the idea too that there's, uh, you know, generations ago, the idea of someone left, they'd come back because there's a, a greater sense of deep down everyone knows what's right and, you know, and they might go off and sow their wild oats and have a bit of a party and a good time. That's, you know, but they'll actually be back and particularly when they have kids, they'll definitely be back. You know, and that was the, the scene that we were, we were in. And I, and I think 
what we've got now is um, so a whole lot of there's different types of, of churches, you know, you know, and it's easier to I think to hit the big ones because they're, the, they're they're big, you know, and you can see them. But to a large degree, the big ones are doing a job that a lot of the smaller ones aren't on on one level. And so while it's not necessarily sustainable, people are leaving all sizes of church, not just big, flashy, glossy churches, you know. You know, I work with Baptist churches, and so in, in Auckland, say, um, the Baptists have the largest youth ministry sort of context. But, you know, young adults definitely don't, you know, and so they're just leaving in droves um, in, in that scene, you know, and so that the metadata would say, you know, that we would lose 80% of our, our young people in those, um, those, those, those years there. And a lot of them will transition through one of the big city churches, you know, and so there's a level of I'm grateful for a big city church who will do something and, and kind of navigate uh, and help people navigate for a couple of years, you know, um, in, in those uni and the early, you know, young adult years, but it often is a transition point through, so they leave a kind of a more boring thing where the pastor's not that good and the preacher's not that good and the music's not that good to a place where all of those things are heaps better, and then after a while it's like, oh, that's not actually the thing that I was really after. Uh, it's something more than that, but it takes a while, and that the corporatization, I think, of, of church is on some level is a necessary evil, is the way I'd say it, like, and it's, that's going to stay there for a while. And so the idea we're in this big, big shift where, you know, when the, when the Protestant Reformation happened, if I was around then, I would have been like, that Catholic church dead in 10 years, no one will be part of it, you know. But you go 500 years on, there's like 1.3 billion Catholics, even though it would have seemed like they're going to be left in the dust with their stupid Pope and all that, you know. So that you basically, these splits happen and the people take off in this new direction, but the old thing stays, but it's just informed by the new, and, and, and I think we're in the midst of that. There's this thing happening, and there's new stuff birthing, and it's informing the old stuff, but the old stuff's not going to die, it's just not going to be have the same amount of power um, that it used to. That was a big answer. That was a huge answer. That was a great answer. Inauthentic messages. I think this, I wrote this down because I feel like a lot of people going through that university kind of age may feel like some of the stuff said up front in church is, is a bit inauthentic. They're not really kind of getting to the nitty gritty of the, the harsh realities of what we're actually facing and not, not getting to the deep issues that we actually care about. Do you think that's the reason as well people are, people are leaving? Yeah, I mean, church can feel like an artificial, artificial environment for a lot of people. And I think, I think people like Peter Rollins talk about this a lot, um, that they, you have this kind of, uh, these people up here performing these duties and being a type of way on your behalf, so you can feel like you've got something stable in this world. If these people are acting the right way, if they're doing the right things, if this environment remains pure, then at least, at least if everything else in the world is chaos, I know this place I can bank on for being stable. And so that's why it's a, it's a massive drama for if a pastor, um, it, it's revealed that you know they've they've actually been uh, noodling around behind the scenes, um, because suddenly your illusion and everything you've been hanging your sense of stability on, now, now is completely deconstructed because none of that illusion st- stacks up. Um, so I think artificiality in church environment uh, can definitely work like that, um, but it, I mean it backfires as well because then you're not allowed to bring your full self. Um, because you, you can't allow people to be their full selves for you. You know, we all know we edit, or we can't say that in church, or am I allowed to bring a beer to church, or am I allowed to say, you know, the F word in church, will people get upset? And stuff like that, it's a bit of a joke, but still, is it, you know? Have, have you seen nudge people wearing those masks at church, and then you see them in a different context, and you're like, well, that's different? Yeah. And that's it's one of the issues of, of leadership, you know, and... 
It's a, I think an ongoing, I mean, I struggle. I've been a church leader for you know, 20 years now. I mean, it's been an ongoing thing because I have sought to be authentic. Like, I, I feel like I'm not one of those, the guys that's trying to put on a show. That's not my jam at all. There is a sense, though, that uh, it's difficult to work out what are the levels of authenticity that are, that are, that are good. Your, your question sort of goes to the other side of things, which is around sort of like morality structures and, and stuff within, within the church. And, you, you know, I think a lot of... Um, the, the, the way that things are set up are when man, people got married at 16 or 17 or 18, you know, and, and so you know, a lot of those sexual morality issues, that, they, were, they were sweet in that kind of context, but you, know, you get married at 30 and things are different. You know? um, same, same thing, like someone's been divorced and getting remarried, things are different. You know? it's, you, there's different sort of phases of how things work now um, and, and context, that, and that there's not been a great deal of sort of talk within sort of like, like orthodox Christianity in and around that, and I think that's a part of the push because people kind of go, I, I can't abide by the full set, you know, and there's certain things that seem to be more important or more bad, and, um, and so therefore I'm just on the out, you know, and, and I, I think there's that, that's a, the start of a, of a push away. Do you think maybe with technology and things that millennials are more likely to kind of call people out on their BS, on their kind of inauthentic selves when they're preaching morality but then you know, 50% of churched parents are getting divorces. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, any time someone get, a couple get divorced, one of them leaves the church, and like Stone Cold, and often both of them do. You know, and so so relationships break up, and that even comes down to into youth group. You know, when a you know, guy and girl break up, boyfriend girlfriend, one of them often leaves youth group. You know, that, it's sort of all the way back and through. Um, that there's a sense of relationship breakouts in a divorce. That should be when the church shines, you know, when it really comes to the fore and there's love and grace and peace. And, but that's often when people feel that judgment and, that, and all the other things that kind of go with that, you know. And um, you, as a kid, you grow up in that and you see this happen and it's, it's a bad time. I don't know if you guys will be good at talking about this next topic. Maybe someone here is better, but um, the third thing I had down was a lot of millennials want to leave church and leave faith because they come to university and they, they learn from professors about science, about the way the world's put together. And I think science is a huge thing for a lot of young people where they're like, wow, philosophy, science, all this other stuff to take in. This is actually, it's a way to explain the world, but church seems divorced from that somewhat. A young person might feel like they're stuck between having to choose between one or the other instead of integrating both of them. Um, well, <clears throat> working in Christian education, this is one of the big things, is um, if they're going to be at a Christian school, um, what, are they, what are they going to walk into the world with? And um, I've, seen, I've seen it done pretty badly, if I'm honest. Um, a lot of uh, Christian education, that goes to the church as well, has has been quite anti-science. I think that's it's definitely changing now. I think we're seeing some big shifts in, in some of the stuff that's becoming available and people being able to see a lot of convergence uh, across lots of disciplines uh, of spirituality and neuroscience and that kind of thing. So there's no real divide, but um, there is still a, a bit of tribalism around that, um, a bit of preserving the right beliefs. If you're going to be part of us, you need to believe the right things. Um, so certainly, I think this is a big question for Christian education, um, certainly a big one for the church. And I think that stems from, uh, there's, a, there's an author called James K.A. Smith, who's written a book called Desiring the Kingdom, which is really, really good, which is about, if we're going to educate from a Christian point of view, um, it's less about information, and it's more about formation. So 
he argues that what we've tried to do is fill up people's brains with the right beliefs in the hope that they will live the right way. And he argues, actually, this, this makes no sense. You look at any advertiser, are they trying to tell you that their, that their product does all the right things? Well, you know that already. What they're trying to do is shape your desires. And if they can grab your heart, they don't even need to go anywhere near your brain. So he thinks that churches, by trying to fill your minds with believing the right things, it's like trying to put out a fire in your heart by pouring water on your head. And I think that's a, a really good way of looking at it, is that um, I think we can be a little bit obsessed with... Um, we're believing the right things, and that can entrench us into beliefs that make no sense. You know, I mean, the Catholic Church did do it when the, the world was, was, uh, was found to be a sphere, and they said, you can't believe that, you're a heretic, we're going to kill you. There are still some flat earthers around, I've discovered, um, lately. It looks pretty flat. It does look, you can't actually see the curvature, to be fair. But, oh, just the last thing before I hand it over to uh, Nasty Nigel, is that um, when, I, when I first got the job at um, Windsor, and did research, Barna had just put out that amazing book, You Lost Me, and uh, some of the, the they, they identified six key reasons that um, uh, young people were leaving the church, and which comes back to your question, they, they sort of identified church, the reason they were leaving as being a little bit overprotective, a bit shallow, uh, repressive, exclusive, doubtless, and anti-science. So it certainly is a key, a key one, according to their research, at least. It's one of the big six. Yeah. You just, you just gave six. away five of my other points, but that's right. Oh, sorry, Brad, I'll hand over I think one of the things is that there's a different conversation if we're sitting in Midwest of the States, you know, about, and, and there's a lot more of that. So we are reasonably progressive as a country, I think, in, in that sense. So we're, it's a much better place to be a thinking Christian um, than where a lot of our source theology and stuff comes from. Yeah, that's good. Which is good. I mean, they have that in America, is it BioLogos? Which uh, is all about trying to uh, bring Christianity and science together. Donald Trump just stopped funding for it. Oh, did he? No, I, I imagine he did. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I read a thing this morning, literally the science division in the White House, the last person left yesterday. Wow. So there used to be a few hundred people there you know, to advise the president. Now, literally no one. So science and reason, a lot of people think that they can't have a scientific reasoned kind of view of the world and hold this Christianity in tension. Have you seen a lot of people do that well here? Yeah, I think increasingly, yeah, so I don't know, most Christians, even you know, boomers that I talk to, wouldn't be seven-day creationists in, in that regard um, and would kind of accept some form of evolution in the, the creation story and that, that kind of stuff. But in and around knowledge, you know, I think one of the things that there's an epic amount of knowledge available to you. So in the past, um, the person at the front would be speaking and they would speak truth and that's the, that's the truth and so you go away from Sunday and you've heard truth and you, you go and live your life out and that, that was, a, you know, now, uh, you know, any time they say something, you can just literally instantly Google it, you know, and go, is that legit? And, and you're, you're in a class too, same thing, I was in a, in a block course last week and you know, people are just Googling things the guy's saying all the time, just making sure, you know. And so information is available um, and you can suss things out and if someone's, like, Dodge, you, you can call that out, you know, or yeah, even internally, and figure that out, and, and and do your own work on that. And so, and also, large amounts of like terrible information is available to you, and it's you know, real hard to filter and to work out, like what is BS here and what is legit, and yeah, you know, and so what? Where is my source of truth um, in this world where yeah, I've got these scriptures, but man, they don't speak to these things, you know, like only in real general principle nature, do they? And so it, it, um, I think it's a hard thing. The amount of information that we have means you can just kind of go anywhere and find support for any belief that you want, you know, or any 
thing you're musing on right now and find someone who's sort of three steps down that, you know, on whatever path you're on. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And I think that leads to my next point quite well. Millennials, according to the research, they do wrestle with doubt because they hear stuff, they're able to use technology and all the information out there and see a different point of view. And we almost have to hold two different points of view and tension in order to learn anything. How has church, do you think, negatively approached doubt in the past that has driven millennials away? Yeah. I mean, I went through my first faith crisis, my first paper I did at Theological College. It was like on the Old Testament, and I was sat there in the middle of it going, what? where do I get my authority from? Like, the, this is written by people, not by God, you know? I had to lean on wise older people who I trusted in that moment to, like, to get me through that point where where it wasn't just, oh yeah, a couple of good arguments and, and I was away. I, I had to kind of sit and trust it. These people that I really respect and love, they, are, they got through this, so I, I too can get through this. And part of what I think is there's a sense of a lack of trust, a lack of authority figures or, 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 ment- or you know, people that you can kind of lean on and go like, I, I can trust that because I know you um, and you've done this, like I will get through this and, and, and there's, a, there's a way out. So I, I tend to every few years go through a bit of a faith crisis as part of my, my lot in life, you know, have a bit of wrestle, and, um, and, and, it's, and it's good. There's a statement that says doubt's good, you know, all faith is built on, you know, it's faith, so there has, has to be room for doubt, otherwise it's not faith, you know, that kind of thing. But practically, I see very little encouragement or engagement with it. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, when I think about that, I think a lot of the youth culture at church it's not to blame, that's the wrong word to use, but I think a lot of well-intentioned, enthusiastic young people up there glorify this idea that I'm absolutely certain about my faith. It's unshakable. I'm going strong for the Lord. Yeah, you know, it's great. And so that's celebrated, and only that is celebrated in, in many of the youth culture. And when they finally hit university and they're suddenly confronted with all these ideas, there's no place for wrestling to be celebrated in church. So I think one of the things that we deliberately did when we started Young Adults at Windsor was actually get people up who didn't really know where they were at and would like t- talk to us about your doubt. Um, after I read that, I was like, well, we need to, need to do that. And it was pretty amazing. You'd have people up there said, you know, I'm a Christian at the moment. In six months, I'm not really sure why, uh, w- whether I will be or not, but this is what I'm thinking. And it gave people permission to be really honest. And suddenly you were talking to people where they're at yeah. and you're having really honest and fruitful conversations, I think, with, with people. And that comes back to that second point of authentic, not being shallow, but being able to talk to the roots of what people are actually thinking, right? So just addressing that doubt is step one. My fifth point here was top-down leadership and structure of churches that don't really cater for out-of-the-box, radical, world-changing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a theory on this, right? okay. and this is my theory. That essentially, yeah, systems like to replicate themselves, you know? and so there's a, we've got a system of how church is now, and it wants to... To, to make it the same, what wants to kind of keep it going. If you look at the average church, like there's exceptions, right? But the, on average, there's a certain kind of personality type that is in, in core leadership. And if you think of the people that make it through youth group and into, there's a sort of a, often a certain personality type that kind of fit, that, that kind of go with that, you know. So they say the average um, you know, senior pastor is an ISTJ and um, and on the Myers Briggs, you know, and so that kind of introverted, sensing, thinking, you know, structured. And there's not a lot of room for the, the radical, you know, in, in context. So I often feel like me, I'm one of those people that made it through, you know, literally, you know, so by the grace of God, like I, I, the system was not set up for me um, and I kind of made it in spite of that. And it, I look around on my mates and that kind of stuff, and they're all gone. So, so in that sense, th- there is this 
systemic thing that wants to keep what is going. And for me, the only way we're going to move forward is with people doing experimental stuff. You know? and, but it's really hard um, to, to see experiments happening. Or, or, or celebrated, you know, um, in the context where the system wants to, to keep things as it is, you know. So there's a sense of like off the map um, change that, that needs to happen, and it's it means it's doubly hard for anyone wanting to do that because they've got to they've got to push against the existing crew here as well as just foraging new ground that no one's no one's been before. I feel you know, a lot of people who have got gold to bring, um, but it, it can be controversial or can just be just destabilizing, you know. I, I literally think it was amazing um, that Windsor hired Sam as a young adult pastor and I was like super kudos to them because most large churches would not hire a Sam Burroughs as a young adult pastor. They'd be like, he is just going to cause questions of disruption and, you know, you know they'll get someone who's confident and stable and, you know, and just helps people you know, on the journey. You know? <laughs> and Sam, like, I, it was just epic in his, in his time there and I, I think yeah, there, was a, there was an experiment and there was a risk taken there and I was like, it was good. Maybe that's such a great point. I'd maybe just tease that out a little bit more, Nige, with the whole um, personality types. I'm an ENTP, so maybe a little bit more ideas orientated, maybe like yourself, but why aren't we catered for in church? Like in all institutions, once they get to the idea that 10 year mark, the idea is that the first question is, on any new idea is like, could this kill us? You know? And if it could kill us, then we are not even gonna, because survival of the institution is paramount. Like, whereas at the start of anything, man, it's the mission that's paramount. It's like, we're gonna do this thing, you know? We're just hitting the 10 year mark of Mosaic in, in December, you know? I'm now reframing it, that. it's really only five years. Because I'm, I'm petrified of the 10 year institutionalization. I don't want us to get to the point where we say, no, we, we might not even look at that because it could possibly kill us. I'm like, nah, the mission is still paramount to what it is that we're doing, and it has to be that way, otherwise, like, I'm out. Do you have thoughts, Sam, on that kind of leadership structure, cutting off ideas at the knees? I have experiences, for sure. Um, uh, what I realised when I got out of the church for a little while is that I, I've actually probably been a, been a victim of spiritual abuse, and not in a, not in a heavy, heavy way, but definitely as in we're going to shut you down if we don't like what you have to say. And I'm imagining most people in this room have experienced this, at least in, in minor ways, where you know that you're not welcome for that idea or for that way of doing things and you, therefore you don't feel fully welcome at all. So when you've experienced leadership and the misuse of authority in that sense, when you come into experience it again, it's very difficult to remove that experience from, from authority. And so when I, when I stepped into this other church for a little while, I experienced this kind of unquestionable hierarchical authority model where critical engagement with the pastor wasn't really encouraged. He'd listen to what you had to say, but you're going to toe the line eventually. And I just got incredibly anxious about that, even though I had nothing really to disagree with at the time. Just the idea of it was freaking me out. And so I think it brought me back to that space of feeling really oppressed by that. So yeah, I think, um, I think people forget that often trauma can, can come into that in a big way. Our past experiences can affect us in ways that aren't necessarily in our minds or our ideas, but actually very much very much in our feelings and it just comes back to it's like an artificial environment where, where else do we do we experience in our workplace an environment where we're not really allowed to question things there are systems set up in most workplaces where the boss will say something but then you can go to him and be like I really think we should do this because of this and this and this and he'll listen to you because actually he, he really should there's sort of might be a she mate. might be ooh <laughs> might be a she oh, appreciate that 
I'm a sexist, everyone, thank you. Um, so I guess um, it's an artificial environment. Every other sphere of our lives is sort of young people going to the workforce. We're used to people listening to what we have to say. And I think maybe the baby boomer approach to us asking those questions and not liking that authority, that we're ungrateful, we just want to go to the cafes and eat our avocado on toast and hang out with friends and just complain about everything rather than actually be productive and you know see some sort of solution. So they've, they've got kind of legitimate kind of pushback against that. I think some of the people that I've been most upset about that have left is because they left because they've been frustrated. Like I really wanted to do some stuff and I have some good ideas and I have energy because I'm young but you won't give me any room so I'm gonna go find somewhere else where I can use my energy. Um, it's really sad. So thanks for listening. This is now the end of part one of our discussion. There is a part two, so make sure you check that out too. And uh, teasing ahead to part two, Nigel will talk about the issue of gay marriage and how the Baptist church that he's been a part of has addressed this issue of late because I think it's been, yeah, a huge issue for many people there. Now the music you're hearing in the background is actually from Sam Burrows, who's a part of the conversation, and uh, he's in a band called Fens. He's a talented man, and if you'd like to check out his band, just search for them on Spotify or at their website, fens.co.nz. That's F-E-N-D-S.co.nz. Check out our Facebook page as well. If you haven't already, just search for The Round Podcast to stay up to date with our episodes, news, and live event information. And a huge thanks to those who have already liked us. I'm Brad Mills, and thanks for listening to The Round. Round.